Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, KD. Wow. Yeah, um, I don't know where Arva is tonight, but I do not think she would have won this one. I think she would have been struggling just a little bit. I want to introduce you guys to someone. Otto D'Angelo. And I'll get the correct pronunciation of the last name. I can't say the word. I'm from Texas, so don't judge me. But he has spent over 30 years of his life in the music business. First performing as a musician, and then in the studio as a recording engineer. His music career has included work on projects for Glenn Campbell, Waylon Jennings, Billy Preston, American Idol winner, I'm glad they put that in there, Jordan Sparks, Kenny Rogers, and many other. As a songwriter, Otto's work has earned him an Emmy Award. It has been released by several record labels while being featured on various TV shows, including Jersey Shore, Punked, True Hollywood Stories, The Office, and the list continues. Otto, thank you tonight for being here with us. As you see, we like to have a good time. So I just want to say you're dialing in from Phoenix, right? I am. And Calvin, thanks for the invite. And Katie, my gosh, that was incredible opening uh, trivia questions. I loved those. I just didn't feel like I should be answering them. So I was trying to, trying to stay out. So come on, Peniston, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I'm, I'm in my little studio behind my house where we actually do the show that I am primarily focused on now called The Recording Artist. This is where we shoot it. Awesome. Awesome. So definitely we're going to um, talk about your latest project. Um, and we definitely want to hear all about it and all of the cool stuff you're doing. But before we get there, let's just kind of talk about your origin story, right? How did you get started? Like, how old were you when you first got into the music industry? And, you know, how old were you when you knew it was your thing? Um, well, first, I would say, I think I've been in the music business for 40 years now, maybe over 40. It's been a long time. Uh, but I started on trumpet in grade school. And before that, I would say I was probably um, five or six years old. And my parents had, I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember this, but we used to have these little toy organs that you turn on and air would go through them. And, you know, you hear them, you play notes. And I used to go down there with a little transistor radio. I would listen to find a song at any station and then I would turn it off and learn it, just the melody of it. And I would do that for hours and hours and hours. And I don't didn't necessarily recall that until my mother told me that one day I was down there for eight hours. I wouldn't even come up and say hello to my grandparents who came to visit. They had to bring me lunch down to me in the basement where I'm playing with this organ. So I knew then and they knew then that, that uh, music had claimed me. So 
we were going to go down that road. So by uh, middle of grade school, I think it was um, about fourth or uh, probably fifth grade, picked up a trumpet. And by seventh grade, somebody came to show and tell with a guitar and played jingle bells and all the girls went crazy. And I thought, okay, well, we're going to make a change here, get rid of the trumpet and get to learn how to play guitar. Um, so then I got, you know, got into bands and was playing local clubs and doing that whole thing, you know, as a teenager. Um, found it when I was 21 or 22, I was running into these musicians playing in what I thought were dumps, like a Holiday Inn lounge or something. I wanted to play concert halls. And I kind of looked down at these guys from my, from my ignorant perspective as a, as a young man. But some of these guys were so good. And I thought, how can you get this good and end up here? That's, that's not, doesn't jive with my, what I'm thinking, where I'm going. So when I realized you could be that good and do what I thought was failing uh, at the time, uh, I thought I have, to have a, I have to have another plan or a backup plan because uh, I'm never going to be that good. And I don't want to play at the Holiday Inn when, you know, when I'm in my 50s, 60s or 70s. And so I found the recording school uh, that I went to in 1982. And it was the only recording school in the country at the time. Uh, went there and uh, finished first in my class of 80 students that they had. And then uh, they offered me a job teaching there. So I taught recording at the recording school. And I thought, this is the best way in the music business to become an uh, artist. I'll get to meet all the record company people and get the back door because you never want to go through the front door. It's a lot tougher. Um, it didn't really pan out that way, but partly because I think I enjoyed producing records and recording so much and having great musicians come in to play my songs that I just kind of put my stuff down and started hiring people and started, started making records. And it was probably 20 years went by before I picked up an instrument again and started writing and started playing again. So that's a much bigger part of my life today, but uh, it's how I started was just playing guitar, you know, in the cover bands and bars, you know, which was a very different world than it is today. Wow. You know, I, I love that story, right? Because I can imagine you're young, you know, you're, you're doing this thing, you know, probably freaking your parents out just a little bit, right? <laughs> you know, they're bringing you food, but it I seems wrecked, like, you know. Every car they had, you're trying to stuff equipment into it and reading lyrics on the way to gigs and getting into fender vendors. Yeah, they, they didn't like it at all. Awesome. You know, that, that, that sounds like so cool. And I, I love the, you know, your story of how it evolves over time, but it seems like, I don't know, it sounds like interesting that you kind of put down the instruments, right? Did you ever miss it? I mean, were you still playing at home or like what happened there? I was not. And uh, I think I was getting just enough vicariously through all these incredible players all the time that I didn't, I didn't need to. In fact, I would say that in the beginning, I felt like, oh gosh, I guess I was really never any good. So there's no point in playing. But I can tell you this, when I did decide to make another record and I picked up a guitar, I was actually a lot better guitar player than I was when I put it down. And wow. that speaks to what it takes to be good at any instrument. It's not the talent that you figure out, it's developing your ear. If you can't hear that you're off pitch, you can't sing on pitch. It's not that you can't do it, it's that you can't hear it. And when you can hear it, you can do it. So it's training your ear. And it's the same thing playing guitar. When you hear a great guitarist play a line for years, you hear great guys play, then you grab a guitar, you can tell, oh, 
I'm making these, I'm making noise that I don't usually hear. You can automatically quit making it. You can tell how they're bending notes or how, what chords they're using because you've trained your ear. And so it's amazing how much more important it is to learn to listen well before you try to play well, because you'll never get there if you can't hear it. Wow, I love it. It's like being a great communicator. It's like you have to be a good listener, right? <laughs> I mean, that foundation, that's pretty awesome, because I imagine while you're spending time with all of these musicians, you're listening, right? Yeah. And you're developing that ear. Critical so tell me this. Yeah. You've worked with some incredible people. I'll call it range, right? Mm -hmm. You know, musical legends, right? From Jordan Sparks, Kenny Rogers, DMX. I mean, all of these people. Can you tell us who were like the two most interesting artists that you work with and why? Well, Calvin, I hate questions like that because because there's they're all in, everyone is so interesting, especially in this business. There are so many. Uh, great stories with uh, all of these all of these characters. Um, I, I can't possibly take it down to you know two that were the most interesting, but I can tell you interesting things uh, interesting things that happened or how I met some people that was kind of interesting. Um, uh, one interesting thing because we we did Lou, had Lou Rawls in the uh, trivia right, um, and so the only opportunity I had to work with Lou before he passed it was going to be a, a bunch of work, but. He had moved to Phoenix from Chicago. Um, and I was doing a Christmas special with Sam Moore from Sam and Dave. I'm a soul man, Sam. Sam and I have been working together for 20 years, 30 years maybe now. And um, uh, Lou came to town and they did a Christmas special together at my recording studio for Fox, local Fox TV. And it was really fun to see Lou and Sam singing together because they'd never worked together. And I, that, I really enjoyed meeting him because he was an extremely intelligent guy, and uh, I thought this is going to be fun getting to work with him in the future. But he had, he had, unbeknownst to any of us, he had already developed throat cancer. And then he went to California uh, with some treatment, but uh, he didn't, I never had an opportunity to work with him again before he passed. But he was a, that was an interesting session because they were singing Christmas songs to kids live on TV from the studio. So you get these very interesting things. And the dynamic between those two singers when you see them together for the first time is always kind of uh, a fun thing to watch. Um, another really interesting thing that you that blows my mind is that Glenn Campbell, DMX, and Max Cavallara from a band called Soulfly, which is a heavy metal screaming band, right? They each have the same process on the vocal microphone in the recording studio. And I haven't seen anyone else do it this way, but all three of them do it. And they didn't read the same books or study the same techniques. They just discovered this process. And so each of them, when they would cut a record, the first time they do the vocal pass, they do it very you know, technically perfect. They get it just the way it's supposed to be. Every word, everything is just right. Then they ask for another track and they do another pass of the song and they kind of go crazy. They change up. The melody they change up the phrasing and they kind of make it a little out of line and then they ask for one more track and in their mind they've already married the two they know which lines worked that they played with they do another pass that's almost all straight but a few lines are exactly what they did in the wild pass and then they come in and listen to that track and if they don't like a line they go check out the other two takes and they'll just swap it in 
So they were, they had that same process. And I was so surprised to watch these three completely disparate artists who've never crossed paths have that exact same process on a vocal microphone. I thought it was fascinating. Wow, that's that actually is pretty cool just to kind of see that. I don't know, what is it? Is it creativity? Is it, you know, is it music? What is it? Art, style, science? What, what would you call it? It's, it's interesting that they landed there because as an artist, when you work, uh, you know that sometimes you're trying to do something like you look at uh, some of these bands with big time production and you know they spent forever trying to get everything perfect. And you hear other artists where it's kind of all sounds like a train's up on two wheels going around the corner where it's, it's a little more chaotic and a little more chaos management. It's not all perfect. And, and I think uh, you, as an artist, you discover that both of those are value. So you don't want to not explore where something can go, even though you know where it's supposed to go. And so I think a lot of artists or a lot of us as artists do that exploration, but we don't, you know, distill it down to that process. I, you know, that was just incredible to see these three different singers from three different places all discovered that's the process. I'm going to do it perfect. Then I'm going to just go crazy and I'll be able to tell in the third pass what I want to do. Awesome. Awesome. Now I want to kind of change this question a little bit, but yeah. it's going to be like a before and after, right? Okay. You know, Early you, young you, you just get started. And as we said, you know, the things that I've learned a little different. So what are some things, you know, in your opinion that, you know, a song must have before it's solid? Now, maybe this is something you've always felt, you've always known, or maybe it's something that you've evolved to, you know, over with experience. What are your thoughts? Um, well, it's a, it's a little question with a really, really big answer. Um, if you think about it, all, all these different songs are all songs are different and, and they don't necessarily have one thing in common. I think it's always been kind of understood that you kind of need a great hook to get to, to get people. And that can be a melodic hook or it can be a production hook, depending on the song. I think for some people, you need engaging lyrics. My brother will send me songs because of the lyrics and he doesn't even listen to the music. When I talk about the music, he, he didn't listen to it. He asks me, how'd you like the words? I'm like, I didn't get that far. I didn't like the song. I never got to the lyrics. So for me, the lyrics are kind of when I listen, obviously that's not the first thing I'm listening for. And if I don't like everything else, I'm never going to get to what the words are. So, but for the audience, you need an engaging lyric or a catchy lyrical hook as well. And then of course, a melody that sticks in your head. So those are always kind of the, the targets. I think people are, are trying to make sure they plant in their songs. But today, I do think that today we're in a very, very strange time for artists to introduce new music because of the way we consume. You really get two to three seconds to get them because they just hit skip or skip or skip, especially when they're looking for new stuff. You've really got to get them right away. So it's, it's more important today if you're trying to gain an audience to do something in the first bar or two that is either so groovy or so unexpected that kind of makes them keep an ear for a little bit longer. Because once you've got them for a loop, four bars to eight bars, they're either going to like it or not, but at least you've got them. But they don't wait that long to find out if they like it. They wait two or three seconds and they just go again. So we've never seen people listen like that and decide that fast about whether they like your stuff. So that's strange, but I, I really feel it's really important today that your first opening is a is a, a phrase or a word or a sound that all happens in the first few seconds that keeps them there for 
just for a good 20 or 30 seconds so they can decide. Awesome. You know, the world keeps getting faster and faster, right? Yeah. I could only imagine, right? Let's go back to, you know, eight tracks and, you know, they purchased the tape, right? They have to listen to it. They're vested, right? Now, like you said, it's digital. Yeah. And it's subscription. Yeah. You got one bar maybe, and if you don't get them, you, you, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't got them, right? So tell me this, for you, has that evolved for you when you're producing a song, right? What's the first thing you're listening for? Are you listening for the lyrics? Are you listening for those same things that you talked about? Or is it different when you're producing? Um. I guess it depends on what your job is. For example, if you're supposed to, we need a, we have to have a hit song, then you are kind of focused on some of those things. But if instead your job is, we need to make a good record on this artist, well, then you're really focused on listening to them and seeing what they have and really trying to evaluate what's right, what's good, uh, and what they're just carrying around to be safe that isn't really you know necessary. And you start to carve a lot of that away and really push them to exaggerate the things that you feel are, are the strong suit or the things that are, they're really uh, uniquely identifiable because you have to connect emotionally. Otherwise it really is just pop candy and it'll go away. I mean, you really have to connect emotionally and I don't think you can connect emotionally if you aren't expressing your true self. And I try to help artists. Uh, they always come to me and go, you know, we want to sound like so-and-so. And I'm like, no, 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 you want to be like them. Who did they sound like? Nobody. Right. So let's not sound like anybody. Let's go inside and find out who you sound like. Let's discover who you are. And when you are sure of that, when that really comes forward, it's worthwhile. And now, if it resonates with an audience, great. You have an audience and you can that can grow. If it doesn't resonate, well... Sorry, you don't have an audience. Whatever you're doing is not connecting, and but it's your true musical expression. So go do something else if you don't want to stay on that path. But you really have to start there as, a, as an artist. As a songwriter, you can, you're, writing, you're writing something for this person, you're writing for this person, you're writing for a car commercial. So your, your target is different. But as an artist, you, you really got to find what's right about them. And that's what's got to be brought out. You know, uh, that's pretty cool. I can imagine over the years as you're working with these different artists and you're making that connection with them, right? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to bring it out. I mean, I mean that, that's a cool dynamic. I actually like that because when I really connect with music, it definitely is some sort of emotional connection, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something there that they've managed to connect. So your process, I, I, actually, I like that. So let's people, do a history. People like to play it safe. They really like to play it safe. So when they, when you, as an artist, you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself or make, or you don't want to have people going, oh, you're horrible. I mean, we have this great fear. It's, it's rooted. So what a lot of artists do is they find their style and they go, oh, this sounds really good. I, everyone loves me when I do this. And so they really get real safe in that space. They don't try this note because it's, they don't, they don't sound quite as good. So they'll never go higher than that. But you realize they can, and this song needs that. We're going to go there. And so it's really learning to get them to let go of that, uh, this, this wall they built around themselves to be safe and to really try to get outside of uh, what they've decided is their thing. Because sometimes their thing's a lot bigger than they think it is. They just love that safe space that sounds great to them. So that's, that's an interesting one. A lot of guys who sound just perfect are like, you know what, you're leaving a bit in the tank. 
and we can we can we can go a little farther here. It's, so it's recognizing that and helping them pull that out too, and and that's that's really what they appreciate, you know. Yeah, and you know, I, I like that, and I kind of want to kind of dig into it a little bit. It's almost like you're coaching them a little bit, right? You're you're pulling yeah. it out of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and it seems like a little emotional struggle a little bit because they're like, no, 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 this is the safe area. But having heard and been a part of hits after hit, you know that something else is needed. So you're trying to pull them out. So yeah. I, I, I love that process. I love that thought. Yeah. And it's interesting to, um, you know, people don't trust you until they see the gold record on the wall. And then they kind of go, oh, and then they listen to you. And literally the first gold record I got, I had artists who would argue with me and argue with me. And then the, the record showed up and I put it on the wall and they quit arguing with me. And I'm like, what? I'm the same guy I was yesterday before that record came in the mail. But now you're going to listen. So it's kind of, it's just one of those things. But once you have that authority, they trust you a little more from the start. And then once you work with them, then you build that trust. But at least that helps them relax and, and kind of feel comfortable with your ideas. Because when you start telling an artist that you don't like something uh, that they created, that can, that can be tenuous. I had a, this one band, I, I loved them but their drummer was just not going to make it. And, mm -hmm. and we, we rehearsed and we rehearsed. And finally I said, you know, the, or one of the guys in the band asked me, when, when do you think we're going to be ready? And I said, with well, this drummer, I don't think you're ever going to be ready. We, we just keep practicing, but I don't think he's going to ever make it. It was, well, what if we hired a studio guy? When would we be ready? We'd be ready now. We can go in Monday because he'll learn all the songs over the weekend. Session guys are great. And the record will be phenomenal because everyone else is wonderful and the songs are great, but we can't cut it with your band. So what was the issue with the drum guy? Was he, you know, was he struggling? He well, was he not he paying serious. attention? He wasn't serious enough about being the drummer, you know. So we'd make changes. He'd know him that day. He'd forget him the next day. And he wasn't steady in time. And he just, it's like, I can't, you can't build a house on a concrete slab that goes like this, you know. And that's kind of what the drums are with real drums. You've got to be rock solid. And then you can, then you can build something that leans and it won't fall over. But um, it's got to be solid. And the drums are just have to really be rock solid <laughs> so it's kind of critical cool cool so i want to go down a trip of memory lane right, right. and this is one of katie's questions and she she told she maybe put eight tracks in there right right she says you know and we have daryl j on there i was telling you about him um he's in nashville you know he's been doing radio for a while so maybe mm -hmm. he'll have some questions later but we went down a, a memory lane with him and he just gave us so much insight into how the music industry changed and evolved. And we were all here watching, but we just didn't know what was happening, right? Until he helped us tell that story. So here's the question. How has the music or industry changed over the years? Well, currently with COVID, but let's go back from the beginning, from Atrax to digital music to Napster and iTunes and now COVID. What have you seen? Because you've definitely been in the industry all of these years and you've seen all of this how has it changed to your perspective uh well uh, like you say a lot of things have changed and from the inside of the record industry you know or radio industry there are other people that could speak to it but from my role as a uh, producer and a consumer and someone who works with artists and record companies almost as a liaison i would say that some interesting things happened when you mentioned napster digital you know file sharing and itunes um, Napster was inevitable because 
digital was going to happen. It happened. It had to get, they're going to share it. And now we got to figure out how to share it properly and monetize it, which is everything that's happened since. But that was, that was inevitable. And it was really more of our, our, I would call it our digital evolution, not revolution. Anything that can be digitized can be shared for free. And with 3D printers, it's almost like the physical version of uh, digital. It's, we can just make anything and we don't need to buy it. So it's, it's going to continue in that way as more items can be, you know, in our experience as human beings. But then um, along comes iTunes with this new digital music thing. And this is where I felt like the record companies really screwed up. There's a history of record companies colluding. And I'm not saying they should have colluded, but I'm saying they should have chatted with each other about what are we going to do? Now there's Apple with digital distribution on iTunes, and they want us to put all our songs up there and sell them. And they all said, yeah. I don't want to try and figure this out. Let's just put them all on iTunes and we'll sell them that way and they can give us the money. iTunes single-handedly destroyed label branding. You used to know what label a band was on. And now every band or every artist is on iTunes. That's not a record company. So it used to be you trusted Warner Brothers artists or you trusted Atlantic Records. You loved the people on Atlantic. You, you knew that the labels had identity. They had a brand identity. And if they would have just taken another step and said, look, they did it. We can probably develop the same thing. Why don't we just give them our singles and we'll leave our albums on our service, warnerbrothers.com, come by our artists. If they would have done that, they would have reinforced their brand incredibly. But everyone, what I heard in the day, everyone was like, well, no one will give their credit card to two places. They don't like to do their credit card online. And back then it was fearful. We hadn't done a lot of that. But you can't assume that when someone ha something happens once, oh, well, now it'll never happen. No, now it's gonna happen everywhere. Things go forward, they don't grow backwards. You know, So they should have seen, okay, this is going to become commonplace. This is where we're going. And I really feel that if they would not have put everything up on iTunes, if they would not have cut distribution deals like that, they would have reinforced their brand. We would have seen an incredibly cool battle between labels over who is coolest because you have to go to them to get it. And once you go to the same record company two or three times, you're just going to go there now. They would have really, really reinforced their brand awareness. And I think they totally blew it by letting iTunes become the distributor because uh, Nobody knows what label anybody's on anymore. Wow. You know, I had never saw it that way. And I remember watching all of this happen, right? I remember watching iTunes show up. I remember that first iPod. And I was like, okay. And it only took like, what, four or five years? And within that short period of time, then all of a sudden, it's like iTunes is everything. And now iTunes is pretty much invisible. <laughs> so it's 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 interesting to see that so what do you think in your opinion happened because you know me I, I have a business background right engineering and business mm -hmm. but I love the case studies right this sounds a little like blockbuster right it sounds like they got a little happy a little lazy a little toys or us right or do you think something was going on I mean you, you, well, because I like you said it was inevitable digital was happening Right. You know, and it was, it was migrating from a track to cassette tape to CD to that Blu-ray thing, whatever that is. It seemed like they had enough evidence that it was going to happen. Do you think they were a little greedy, a little, what do you think happened? Well, when you say they, you mean iTunes? Um, the more the, um, I guess the music companies. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, um, you know, 
that you, see, you mentioned that iTunes isn't really there now. You know, it's kind of iTunes is there, but but what they were, they were trying to sell records, and we don't sell records now. Now we stream music. You know, so they were the first ones to try and sell the digital record. So they were, of course, the next, you know, obvious evolution is going to disappear from that. We don't do that anymore. That's why they aren't as relevant in your in your life right now because you don't buy the music, you stream it. There's a lot of podcasts. They've really they've shifted their position. They've pivoted what they do. They still can sell music, but um, we people just don't typically buy that way. So now streaming is the thing. So what's gonna what's gonna happen next? Well, who knows? But one thing is the whole the whole scene is completely kind of the gatekeepers are completely gone and it's all broken down and anybody can do anything but the thing is if no one knows about you if no one's looking for you then you can put an album up on itunes or you can put a song up on all the streaming services and no one's going to hear it because you're not just going to shoot to the stars because you put it up there you've got to spend a crap load of money on promotion for people to know now, if you're famous, they're going to Google you and find you because there are fans already. And so you have no problem going digital. In fact, the record companies are kind of an intermediate. Now, they, they launch you. They, they have the money to take the new guy and make him a star. But then they, the star doesn't need them anymore because now people can find them directly, just one-on-one, -on -one, right online, anywhere. So they're star makers more and, and kind of um, joint venture managers more than, they, than what they used to be. In, in my mind, uh, which is okay. That's a great function, but you still have artists coming up now. Like on TikTok, you, there are artists and kids making so much money, and no one's that no one even has ever heard of them, and they're making thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month, doing not not doing anything and not being associated with anybody, and no one sees them. They're just under the radar, making a great living, probably making more money than the record company was ever going to pay them if they had a hit, you know. And so it's it's a it's a wild wild time in, in music right now. Well, that's awesome, and you know that's a great segue to your latest project, the recording artist. So let's go ahead and jump there. You know, I'm gonna you know do the other questions later. Maybe we'll come up in some discussion. But let's talk yeah. about your latest project, the recording artist. When did you get the idea? First of all, tell us what the recording artist is. And yeah. you know, and tell us about you know when did you get that idea and, and the story behind it. Okay, therecordingartist.com is the website, um, and it is a subscription membership website uh, platform, essentially, where we webcast live recording sessions with bands every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. The band gets two hours to record a song from scratch. Um, our members get to pick what song they're going to do. The bands actually, once they're uh, going to be on the show, they send us three tunes that we let our members vote on, our A&R members. Uh, get to vote on them. There are premium members. They pay as much as $9 a month to participate. You know, so that's the high ticket item. And uh, so they pick the songs and then the band comes in. The band doesn't even know what song they're going to play. We go live. It's, they get two hours to set up and mic check and cue mixes. And then we go live at seven o'clock and our big screen TV comes on and our head of A&R comes on and tells them, here's the song everyone's picked that you're going to record. And so then we've had two hours to knock it out. Whatever doesn't get done, if we don't get the background vocals, we don't get the background vocals. That's the version of the song that we're going to put out because we put them out on our website for the members to stream. We have 44, 45 songs from last year. We did it for a year. And uh, people can go stream all those tunes. They're cut in two hours. They're mixed in two hours. The next day I mix online the next day. And I can't believe people watch me do that, but they do. 
And so all those songs are there and the member right now it's all free because we're kind of down. We're not starting again until January. So everybody can go, they can watch videos, they can listen to all the songs we've done. They can submit bands anytime they want because we're always looking for bands. We're starting to line up season two. And then um, on top of all that, as kind of as a marketing and promotional tool, and since I'm a huge fan of video production because I've gotten into the film world in the last few years, I did my first feature film, which is really awful, but it was fun. I learned a lot. So now what we do is we cut a show out of this content for Amazon Prime called The Recording Artist. So you can go on to Amazon Prime and you can watch you know, the show there. And in the audience, uh, Charlie Maselli is, is watching. Charlie is someone who lives in California who found us, him and his wife found us on Amazon. He went on to Amazon.com and wrote a review that made me go, oh my God, this is what I should have been telling people we're doing. He saw <laughs> what we're really doing and described it as a potential uh, renaissance in the recording arts. And it was I've copied that and posted that in places on my website going, look, this this is cool what we're doing. You should check this out. Uh, he's been a big fan and a big supporter and uh, happy to see him here. And he's been in the business in a different in a different way out in California. And so now we have the television show. Six episodes are up. You can watch them for free on our website, therecordingartist.com until January. Uh, I'm trying to get the next four out. So I want to get 10 episodes cut from this first year. So when we launch again in January, we're not going to stop again. That's my goal. Um, it's going to take a lot of effort on our part, but again, I'm going to keep it going. So uh, I'm really excited about the shows and 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 how the membership website is going to grow because we'll in, we'll start bringing on other nights and other studios. So you, the membership you're getting twice as much value as soon as we add another night, you know, and another town and more bands. But to get back to your point, how did this come about? It's that watching this industry devolve watching how record companies were, were hiring my big fat recording studio a lot less often because they were hiring producers who had rooms. And so if you weren't the producer, you weren't going to get the studio time. And bands were being, their fans were demanding constant content for free in form of video. They couldn't afford to go into the studio and do that. So a lot of bands started to buy a computer and start doing it at home. Well, the next three or four records they make are really bad because they don't know how to make a record at home that sounds good. So it took them a long time to really start making quality content at home. So the studios lost bands as clients, studios lost record companies as clients, and fans were demanding more content constantly. So I thought the way that the money normally flowed in the business had dried up, but there's got to be another way to work it out. And this was my answer, but we started in 2014. We were a little ahead of the curve. The concept is the fans will pay for something. And what they love is to, to be with you and to, to be behind the scenes and to be part of it. So I thought, okay, well, if you give me three or four bucks, I can let you into my room with five cameras. We just had a big fancy studio then when we were doing it. And then you get your free music because I'm not going to charge the band. They come in for free. And eventually when the memberships rise, I'll be paying the bands to come on. That's my goal. So that I'm paying you to make a record that you own. Now go away and sell it or give it away but I'm paying you to make a record because that's the way the money wants to go. Then the band can give them music away to the streaming. I say, call it giving away. You post it on the streaming services and you make $2.75 next year from it. But you know, that's because the streams don't add up too much, but the fans get continuous music from some of these band artists that they like. So it's the beginning of turning that wheel around and trying to capture the way it seems like money's willing to flow back to the artist. And through the studio, because we can become a regular customer of studios all over the world 
we're going to buy time every week to put a band in there for free. You know, so, I mean, we're really kind of re-energizing how money can flow through all of those entities from fan to studio to band and create that content. Wow. You know, I, I love the way you explain that and thankful for Charlie, because I know what it's like when you have somebody explain it in a way that you like this slogan here I have, you know, um, what's that? Um, no more, learn more, be more, just be. That came from someone on the team. Right. And she threw out a bunch of ideas and I'm like, I like that one right there. Right. <laughs> because it really kind of summarized a bunch of things. But, you know, kudos to Charlie, you know, for reaching out and making that connection, because that's the magic. I love the recording artist because you are a person that has watched the trends, the things evolve. And I love the word you use, continuous music. Mm -hmm. you, you follow the money. I learned in business school, you follow the money, right? And as you follow the money, it, it, really, it was going over here, then it switched. Yeah. And then the trend switch, and what you're doing with the recording artist is you're positioning mm -hmm. a continuous money play, a continuous music play. Right. In a way that, as you said, fans are still going to pay, but they're going to expect something, continuous music, and we got to be structured in such a way. So I love that. So tell us about season two. Like you said, you're going to start recording. Your goal is not to stop um, recording. What are the things you're looking for for um, studio? I mean, season two? Or you already booked? You got all of your bands? I mean, you're looking for studios? I mean, what should we expect for, you know, season two? Okay, well, it's funny we have... Well, this town in Phoenix, the Metro Phoenix area is massive. We've got uh, about 6 million people, I think now we're like the fifth or sixth largest city in the, in the country. There are so many bands here. Well, we have over 150 bands in our, in our on a spreadsheet that we've reached out to and invited. Uh, another 20 or 30 that have submitted on the website that they'd like to be on the show. And we used about 44 bands last year. So we're reach, reaching out again now, and we're going to start booking uh, our January dates probably next week. We're open to any bands who want to, to would like to be on the show. But our problem is, since we're so small and we're not profitable, I can't afford to fly a band in from out of town and put them up. So right now the bands are got to be able to get here, you know, and get stay here and get home. If you can do that, I don't care where you come from. Uh, you, we'd love to put anybody on the show. Um, but what we tend to do is put the bands up for the members to pick. That's one of the things we're going to focus on for season two. Usually they just got the bands that we picked, but they picked the songs. So now they're going to vote on kind of the artists they want to see. And um, some of the things I'm saying to people who are in the audience who, who are familiar with us, like Charlie and John, who's a dear friend, actually, um, songwriting association uh, president over here in Arizona. But uh we for season two we're going to change up the format a little bit instead of just having a band for two hours we're we're going to have projects and sometimes that project is going to span uh more than one session because of what it is and and how we get to explain and demonstrate different processes when we get to come back and do just an overdub session on that song next month so some of our songs are going to go longer and some of those artists are going to be selected slash approved by the membership and so our, our band concept has limited us to exclude everybody who does it all by themselves with a keyboard and a drum machine and their vocals. And it's like, well, I need people in different rooms performing. And so it's, it's really stuck us to bands. And uh, 
there's this artist out of Phoenix, Sam Opoku, I think is how you pronounce his last name. A young kid I met on a film set. He's incredible. He's so incredible. And my wife and I love him. And we've been like, he's just all by himself though. He does it all himself, makes his own beats and does his own stuff. And how do we turn that into the show? So we struggle with that, but we finally came up with a way to, to uh, do that. Uh, and it's gonna combine his process with our process. But uh, we're gonna, uh, I'm not gonna tell you more than that right now, but at least we've opened it up to a lot of solo artists. And a lot of those people are EDM artists or R&B artists or hip hop awesome. artists because they do it all themselves. And in, in Phoenix, we have had zero participation of R&B bands uh, because there aren't a lot of them. So I've nailed down three that we're going to put on the show. Um, but we've got a lot of bands, which seems like the alt rock thing is exploding. And and uh, pop. there's a lot of pop, a lot more pop and pop rock bands than I ever dreamt were around. So that's kind of exploding. So we just want to, and initially we thought we needed to keep a fairly narrow music style so that if someone's paying every month because they liked the band, they came because of a band, you wouldn't want to go from, from that band they love to death metal to uh, hip hop to country if they, they don't like that stuff. So we really thought we had to start fairly narrow and maybe put different types of music on different nights. But what we found and from polling our members, it's not about the music. They love the process. They love the personalities. And I've got guys who have told me, I would never have listened to this stuff. But now that I've watched you make it, I want to buy the record. You know, so wow. great. I'm like, go buy the record. We don't sell it. Go, go to the band buy the music you know so it's the music's less important stylistically is what we've found so we're going to try really hard to spread that out a bit the only thing that doesn't work well for me is stuff that's too slow because you don't want to watch slow music on tv it's it doesn't work we need things mid-tempo and up-tempo mostly so uh, you know i'm only laughing because i'm thinking of kd who loves fast music and yeah. she often gives our djs a hard time but <laughs> I, I agree with what you're saying you know because you know it's the experience right you know the music is the music but it's the experience and it seems like yeah. you're selling the experience now tell us about this long term i mean you got an exit strategy what do you plan on doing you plan on selling this thing you plan on looking for investors what are you going to do well i am actually looking for investors right now to okay. finance a massive marketing campaign that we're going to be launching i've got a couple people in the area that are interested in talking so, but I'm, I'm not, haven't settled on anyone. In fact, I actually have a, another individual in Indianapolis that uh, I just sent a proposal to yesterday because he's interested as well. But what we're gonna do uh, going forward is I'm gonna step out of this thing. Right now it's, it's a small little shop. It's I am the recording artist. I'm this character who's taken that title away from the artist and given it to me because I'm the one who's the artist at recording. They're just the band. So he kind of has an attitude, right, like that. So I'm always trying to lift them up and make them better because I'm the artist at recording. Well, I through season two, we're going to see me by the end of the season, hopefully, where I'm not here all the time. I've got other producers coming in. We've got some guys we want to work with. And then I'm going to let the members start to pick what producer is going to work with what band. Once we know the bands ahead of time, they're going to pick which guy you know, or girl is going to actually take that project. And I think then I may only take projects that have already come in to the show by the end of the season. And the members tell tell us which group should go work with Otto now. You know, they've worked with the other producers. Which one should now go up to the next level, work with me, and end up on the TV show? So we're going to tier it a little bit. But that's just in growing the recording artist version as it is. I really see this as something 
that I can bring on studios all around the world by merely either sending them trained students from all the recording schools we have, because they always come out of school, they're 20 years old and uh, they don't live anywhere and they have no bills. They're willing to move to Houston or move to anywhere for a job in the music business. You can send three or four guys and a package of equipment and tell them, hey, there you are. You're, you're part of our process. You're there every Tuesday night. You're there every Monday night. So I really see this spreading out to having recording on the, on the website potentially. I mean, the, the top end is it would be 24-7. A recording session is always live when you go to the website yeah. somewhere in the world. It, that's, the, that's the upper end of where this thing could grow to. Now, I don't know that that's really my target. That's a pretty heavy lift. I want to see it become profitable so I can start paying people what I feel like they're worth and really see that ball start to roll. And then as when we see the growth and can measure the growth, we can start talking about how we're going to onboard uh, partner studios and how much we can start paying our artists to come on the show. Because then they think of it just like a concert. You're just getting paid to do a show. You happen to walk away with a free recording that I produced for you. And I give the bands the multi-track. For those of you who understand multi-track, when they do the show, they get the multi-track. They can take it home. They can keep adding more vocals and more work at home and put the record out. I'm not, I don't want to own it. I don't want to. I don't want to try and hold them down from it. I want to give it to them. And then they give me the permission to use it on the show. So that's the trade-off for the master. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I love it. I mean, I know we've been moving very, um, let's say, longer than we want to. So thank you all for the patient. We always have Q&A at the end. Great. So, And then what we're going to have is our... Um, local DJ, DJ Afro Sheen is going to play a set for us. But let me do a summary. And um, Katie and Tamika, if you don't mind helping us, you know, get the audience ready for a few questions, because, you know, we want them to be able to speak their questions to Otto. But let me summarize why you guys are getting ready. You can type your questions in the chat, or you can bring yourself off mute and um, ask your questions. So let me recap. Thank you, Otto, for joining us tonight sharing with us your awesomeness, your experience. We didn't even get the chance to talk about, you know, you know, which song, you know, you won an Emmy for, you know, or where, you know, which one of your songs went platinum and, and gold and things like that. But maybe that'll come up from the audience. But you shared your story. You shared how, you know, when you were young and how, you know, music was always been a thing for you. But then all of a sudden, like you said, you went to music school. And I know from your bio, as you said, you made any mistake a young person could make. And as you learn, you begin to find your role, your role as a producer, almost as a coach, as a person that's really, really not only putting gold records on the wall, but using that experience to make artists better. And in that trust, you, you, I love it how you describe it. Hey, you're going to have to make an emotional connection with these customers, with this audience. Let me help you bring that out. And then as you watch the history of the music industry evolve from A-tracks to cassette tapes to online to digital to file sharing to iTunes to post iTunes to subscription, you have an answer. And your answer is the recording artist. And you have a model that you're building that could be distributed, but currently you're in Phoenix and you're offering two hours of recording time for the local bands in Phoenix. And if artists around the world can get to Phoenix, then you'll spend that time with them. And you have a season two that's coming up where you're going to be doing more awesome things. And I think Tamika has shared 
where we can find you and follow you online at therecordingartist.com. But let's go to the audience. Tamika, Katie, what questions do we have from the audience? Um, we have Joy McClain, who is going to ask our first question. Well, well actually, it's Rodney. <laughs> oh, it's actually Rodney. Hi, Rodney McClain. Go ahead and ask your question. Hey, question for Otto. First, Otto, thank you for being on. Uh, we have a daughter who's in music production at the University of Central Oklahoma. Oh, so great. she's work, working on her music uh, plans now. But my question is, uh, Otto, as times have changed, we've turned to auto-tune. So what's your thoughts on auto-tune? And do you use it? Have you used it? And I know that I haven't seen bands using it, but, uh, you know, it's everywhere now. Yeah, there's a, there's a new version for karaoke that's called um, Mike Magic or something. Someone was telling me about it that you can actually sing live and tune as much as you want. The worse, the bad, the worse you are at singing, the better you can just change the microphone. It's crazy. But as a tool in the studio, I, I love it. Like any studio, any tool can be used or overused. And what I have found that in the old days when we recorded on tape, uh, you might have a singer who they deliver a really great line, but oh, this one important note was a little flat, but the emotion was incredible. And so you want to redo the line to get the note right. And then the emotion's never the same. And so it, it, it would always break my heart that I'd wear somebody out trying to get all the pitch right when pitch is only part of the performance. So with auto-tune, what it lets me do, I don't use it as an, I don't like to use it as an effect that you hear on the voice, but I love to use it to just lift a note a little or lower a note a little when I had a great performance with one off note. Then I just move those notes on to pitch a little bit uh, it's a lot faster sometimes than getting it out of the singer or then destroying what might have been good about the rest of the performance. So it's kind of a, a call you got to make on the spot, but it's a, I think it's a, a powerful, wonderful tool. And good luck to your daughter. That's fascinating. There could have not been a better answer, like honestly, <laughs> like to auto-tune. Um, Honestly, in in all, I mean, you know, there are so many bad things that people honestly always coordinate with auto-tune. So when we think of auto-tune, we think of the um, stereotypical um, pop artist, you know, and I really do hope... Um, I don't know. Anyway, I just think that that was amazing. So yeah. So so for people who are you know curious about that new voice, that is Jody, and a good friend and associate from um, Nashville who introduced me to Otto. She doesn't have her camera on because she's a model, and I'm pretty sure she you know wants to have a perfect face before she turns her camera on. So hey, Jody, I saw some questions popping up in the chat, but I think we got a few people ahead of you. So Katie, Tamika, who do we got? Yeah, Donald Douglas has a question to ask. Donald, go ahead and unmute yourself, ask your question. Okay, hey Otto, thank you so much for sharing everything. It's just been awesome for me um, as a musician and as a listener and everything else. Um, I love what you said at the very beginning, talking about the importance of listening, because in my experience, um, you know, the best musicians are the best listeners, and that's just so true. I, I kind of hope I can get this... Uh, a little bit of what you said on that recording and played with a group that I'm working with. <laughs> We're doing a little uh, a Friday night jam session and the drummers 
Um, and you, you can maybe tell me this. Sometimes drummers, you know, they do, in a way, rule the world. So if you got a bad drummer, it ruins the world. But I think some of the notoriously worst drummers are ones that don't listen. They just kind of try to run the show and without realizing that the other musicians are contributing to the experience. Um, and so I love I love how you shared that. And also, I think it's really cool what you're doing with that whole the thing with young artists, because I've talked with someone some years ago that one of the biggest things that we see nowadays is many people that have such a strong interest in music. Um, they get out there, finish their music school experience, and then they end up working in a restaurant, you know, for, you know, 950 an hour or whatever else, not realizing their dream. So I think what you're doing is just is such a it's awesome, basically. It just it's, it can reach so many people that are just kind of just out there, just kind of hanging out there with talent, but don't know what to do and don't know how to get there. Um, and so, I just want to um, well just tell you thank you so much for what you've what you said, what you've done, and it's just so it's cool to hear a good musician to hear someone just saying stuff that's all like okay, this guy knows what he's talking about, you know. <laughs> so that's thank you so much. Just wanted to say thank you. Well, and thank you too for the compliments. And did you have a question as well? Yeah. Um, I, the one question I was going to ask was you, you did mention as far as with one particular group seeing a drummer that kind of killed the group. Um, is that something that happens a lot that you see someone that just, you know, you're like, okay, this group isn't going to go anywhere because of that one guy that just, he's not committed. How, I mean, what's your ratio with the bands you see, seeing the ones that just, you're like, okay, that, that ain't going to work. I would say almost every band uh, has somebody that's in it because they're a friend or a brother or a neighbor and they don't really cut it, but they're, they're pals. Um, and so when they come to the studio and they're going to spend a bunch of money or try to make a record, uh, I've talked a lot of bands out of it. I've mm -hmm. set them down and talked to them for hours going, you know what, you'd be better off spending that money on t-shirts that you can sell to raise more money, to make a better website and, get, and keep getting, keep practicing because they aren't ready to spend the money on something like that that's then gonna fall short of being professional. Mm -hmm. um, you gotta get it right. And you don't can't cut a corner on a record that's gonna live forever. It's gotta be the best you can be. You can't, you can't go, well, it's all the, you can't have an excuse when you hand somebody your record. You can't go, well, it's because our drummer was bad or we didn't have time to mix it. No, if you don't have time, don't do it. If your drummer's bad, don't do it. You're going to make something that you that's not going to serve you and you'll never forget how much you spent. But if you make something right, it will serve you. It'll open doors, it'll move forward and you won't remember how much it cost you because it doesn't matter. It actually is a wonderful, you made something wonderful that works. So that's critical. And um, most bands coming up haven't had the experience in the studio to be, a lot of them aren't good enough. And so you have to either, you have to, I have to choose in that, in that role if I'm being hired to produce, whether I can spend the time to get you to good enough or whether mm. I spend some time with you to show you you aren't and then bring in someone who is and go, now I'm gonna show you what you need to be. Can you see the difference? And if you can, there's hope for you. Mm. you know, and if you can't, now you're just being mad at me because you think I don't like you. And it's not that I don't like you. It's that you're nowhere near where we need to build this thing, you know. So those are difficult conversations to have. But almost every up and coming band has has that piece that needs to be replaced if it's going to go anywhere. So what do you do with a band if you're a band leader and you got one of those people in your band? I mean, do you just like hit them hard? Just be like, hey, dude, you're out of here. And then just go on a search. <laughs> um, if you want to move forward, you replace them. If you want to have fun, you don't. You know, um, I think it's the job doesn't call for a nice guy that everybody gets along with. You want that. 
but you, you have to be able to do the part. So then, so you have to be good enough at your role as a musician. Now, the next problem is some people get really, really great. So they think they can be a-holes. Well, that doesn't work either because mm -hmm. the job doesn't call for the best musician. It calls for somebody who's good enough and can get along and can contribute and cannot be a jerk, you know? So mm -hmm. the best guy sometimes doesn't get the gig either because he's too much trouble, that diva element, you know? Um, on the flip side, sometimes you want your singer to be a little bit of a diva. They've got to be able to walk out there and strut. So you got to put up with that. And they're not out there too. But yeah, I would say if you if you have plans for the group to move forward professionally, you have to jettison anybody who who isn't up to the task. If the job doesn't call for the nice guy who can't cut it. It's that's this is a job that requires a specific talent and a specific level of talent. And if they don't have it, it's not personal. They aren't prepared to take the job. Yeah, I, I love that. That was perfect. I can take that one line. If you wanna, if you wanna move forward, here's what you do. If you wanna have fun, you know that's that's, that's take your perfect. Because there are that's people perfect. who find great joy in their life by playing with their friends, and you don't have to be the best band. You play covers and you love it, and you can make money playing in clubs doing it. But you wanna you wanna make a statement about about who you are as an artist and and show people you wanna realize your your vision can't happen with subpar players it's just it'll never be there you'll just always listen to it and, and go man if only if only well no no if only go do it <laughs> it's got to be right awesome so. thank you so much yes well thank you thank you donald we have a question from rihanna mclean okay hello hello i am the daughter of the other two there you are. How are you doing? You're kind of freezing. Yeah. Um, so I am majoring in, and um, I am also. Is this better? Yes. Okay. So I am um, majoring in music business at my school and. We're not going, we're not going to get the question. Rihanna, if you can um, take your video off, leave your video off and try that and answering, asking your question. Thank you. Okay. Is this better? Yes. Just leave it off. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. I got that college Wi-Fi guys. <laughs> um, so I am majoring in music business, production classes as electives, and I'm really interested in mixing. But my question for you is, what do you think um, are the most important steps to take outside of college once I graduate to get into the music industry? I don't think there's anything you need to take outside of college to get into the music industry. I don't think, I think you're in the music industry, okay? Think of it as being broader. And go get go go now for the job you want while you're in school, um, if you can if you can handle the, the time with your classes. But there's nothing else you need to know. What you need to do is you need to be doing it with people, and then you'll learn everything else you need to know. Um, but the, but you mentioned mixing, so if, if I could share with you for mixing, there's a few things. Mixing is very very difficult. You're trying to make a mix. It sounds great on your speakers, then you play it for somebody someplace else, and it always sounds really bad. And you go. How come it doesn't sound like it sounded in my room? You know, that translation of your mix out of your space is the most difficult thing to achieve. 
so that when you your goal is that when you go and play your mix in other places or you hear it on the radio, you go, yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought it was going to sound like. That sounds about right. So some keys to that are listen on as many different speakers as you possibly can in your space and always take your mix out to your car or listen to it on your phone, listen to it where music is going to be played and uh, go back and work on the mix again, tweak it some more. It's really, really important that you spend, you listen to it in a lot of environments and that's, that's going to help speed up your ability to get that record to translate outside of your room. And another trick that really helped me because I was, when I first was mixing, I would take my mixes home to show my wife and they would sound like crap. And I would stop halfway through, but this isn't what it sounded like. Something happened in the car on the way home. <laughs> so what I did is I thought, well, I know what I need to do. I'm listening in the studio where I never hear music except the music I'm making. I need to bring my records that I like. This is back before digital. I need to bring my records into the studio and hear them on my system so I know what they sound like. So I did, I brought some of my favorite records in on a turntable and I played them and I thought these records sound like crap, but these are the records I love the sound of outside of the room. So I thought, this is what I have to be aiming for to make my records sound right. And I completely changed how I made things sound. So my mind of what was right and was wrong is incorrect. My ear was just not adjusting to that system versus the home system where I love the music. So by bringing the music I loved when I heard it in the store or heard it on the radio, bring that music into the, your recording environment and study it there and make your records sound like that. And they will translate out of your space better. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I love that answer, Otto. That is awesome. So. Otto, thank you for your time. We're going to do a couple more questions, but we want to honor your time because we know we were going longer here than we expected. So we, we definitely want to make sure that we can follow you. And Katie, if you can let me know how many more questions we have. But we, let's make sure we get Otto's information shared out there because I definitely want the people here to be able, okay, I see it. Tamika shared it. We have the recording artist, artist.com, and she also shared um, his Facebook. Is that the direct information, mm -hmm. Otto? It, and if you got anything else you want us to follow, let us know. You know. I'm happy to give you guys my email address up. And I actually have my own app you can download for free if you want. And the app is called Auto D. Just got to put a space after it if you search for it in your, in your app store. Because there's a lot of Auto D. But once you put the space, mine pops up to the top afterwards. Um, and if you do that, in the app, you have my phone number. You've got, uh, you can connect with me there. You have links to all of my websites, which include the recording artist, my music websites. I perform in a couple of groups. That's all there. Um, so that's a simple way to get a hold of me. But there's my my email. Boom. So, and you've got awesome. And, and for the people listening on the post re um, recording, it's going to be published as a podcast. Um, that's o t t o at autod.com. And for that app download, it's auto, O-T-T-O, space D. Space, so, um, let's see. Another space. <laughs> yeah, otherwise you get a whole bunch of them pop up and I'm way at the bottom. But if you put one more space, I pop to the top. Yeah, that is that is funny. Uh, I love what you said about music because I listen to whatever I play on my earphones, but it's before it goes over the internet. By the time it gets to the destination, I have no idea what you guys are hearing. 
but I know it sounds good to me. So Katie, quit hating on my music. But that's why we got DJ Alpha Sheen here. She gonna uh, 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 groove us out tonight, even though we've gone long. Let's take one or two more questions. I know Jody had a question, but Daryl J, I, I see you um, um, got your video on. You got a question for us? Cause I know I wanted you to be here tonight. Hey, evening. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. we can hear you. All right, good deal. Uh, question for Otto and uh, Charlie and uh, John as producers. Uh, heard Jermaine Dupree speaking the other night. A uh, question he, uh, a statement he made about uh, artists going in studio and producers. Uh, shelf life of music. I heard you say earlier about um, growing forward. When you all go into studios now, do you focus on shelf life? Like, what's this record going to be like in twenty years? Can this artist perform this song twenty years from now? Or you kind of looking at packages as a DJ part time. Now I kind of get a song if it comes out that morning. It's almost old school that <laughs> night, and uh, I almost sometimes I just rather stream the song because in two weeks I'm, I probably will never play it again. So uh -huh. what's the discussion like now? Uh, we're still playing Michael Jackson and Prince, but a lot of artists now three weeks and it's over. So what's the I guess the approach to music? Well, I, I, I like, I like hearing that from you. And I think that part of what I think part of our problem is, especially in this streaming world is that we aren't listening to the album. So we're not getting the depth of artists. We're listening to singles. And the more that focuses on the single that copies a format, that copies a format, that copies a format, the, 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 the less value there is to it, the less meat there is to it. It's more, like you say, it's more momentary because that's by the time they're chasing the fad, the sound, it's already already there. So it's going to be gone even quicker. Um, I try not to. I think a lot of times you need one song on the record that people can relate to that is current sounding so that they go, oh, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I listen to. And in the old days, the rest of the album could stretch out a little bit so you could represent the depth of the artist. It's really hard to do today. But since artists have their own access to the World Wide Web and their audiences, I think it's it's more important that they really fight that trend. You can use a, you really have to fight that trend and create something that you feel will last. Like you say, you play the old records because those old records were great songs and great performances, and they weren't quite so cookie cutter and and temporary. Um, yeah, I hate to try to make something that's chasing what's currently cool. I always try to find the artist and find what I think is great in them. Sounds uh, good. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. And then anybody else did, did you want to address John? Or? There, there actually was another question from the okay. McClain also. Thank you. You may be on mute. Yep. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. This, this has been great from a parent who's never been in the music industry, just listens to music. But my question is just a few tips that you would have if, uh, for a female on the business side. So if she looks more into the music business industry side and not just the making of the music, the creating side, what tips would you share? Well, I think on both sides, what I found in this business is it's far more important. Your relationships are far more important than your talent. Um, if you are, if you have a good relationship with people, they're going to pull you with them. And you know what? They'll teach you what you need to know if you don't know. And that's kind of why I was saying, hey, go get the job, go to the record company. And if you represent that you show up on time and, and you're trustworthy and they like you and you can get along with everyone, 
they they want you they want you around and they want to help you and they want to use you you know as part of their team um, that's big on the business side it's it's really big as the engineer producers guys because i can tell you i've had so many artists who i worked with who you bump into then they get a record deal and they're like we want this guy to do our record because we've worked with him and we feel safe i even have a drummer who's with earth wind and fire now who i had played on a bunch of records on and when he got when he joined the band they were just finishing up a new album and he got to play on three songs and he said i have an engineer i want to bring in to cut my drums and they laughed at him we're earth wind and fire you're not going to bring an engineer but i was like john thanks for trying that would have been fun you know but it's neat that those artists drag you along because of they feel comfortable with you even when they're walking into an environment like that where they should feel comfortable anyway at that level surely there's going to be talented people but um, that's the best thing, those relationships and how, how those people feel about you. That's the, probably the most powerful thing you can have. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, once again. Yeah, can I interject something? Absolutely. Oh, go ahead, John. Yeah, I just had uh, back to uh, what Joy was saying. I'm so glad that she's going to school. When I was uh, a youngster, there was no music business classes you know you just had to figure it out and get beat up along the way but uh, so that's good but on uh, mixing um, one thing to to watch is uh, who's in there mixing with you and if you got the bass player or the drummer or any of the band guys it's uh, it's called the more me syndrome and, you know hey those drums need to be up a little bit right here you know and or the bass does and all that so you gotta just be on the lookout for some of that but uh, that's great you're going to school yeah and, and thank you john a good a good tool for what john just spoke of is this when she's mixing if the bass player says turn the bass up don't listen to him push a fader <laughs> up to, push a fader up that doesn't do anything but if the drummer says turn the bass player up that's a valid concern that you should evaluate because it's not about him it's about what he's hearing in the music. So anytime somebody is giving you, one of the creators is giving a critique that isn't about them, it's, it's, a, it's valid to evaluate, but never when they're talking about themselves. Just, they all want more. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, John. And Charlie, did you want to add anything to that? I, I see you there have been doing a great job listening. It's still on mute. I'll ask you to unmute. You should have a little mute button down there in the corner, Charlie. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, uh, I don't hear a microphone, though. Yeah, he's probably on super mute. We'll give him the chance. Let me finish saying. He probably has uh, Pro Tools rig hooked up, and it installed his mic computer microphone. So. Yeah. I, hey, I, I've been there a lot, man, so I know what it's like. I, we call it hitting buttons. You're going to hit too many buttons, right? So Otto, Joy, Chris. John, thank you guys for tonight. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for discussion with the audience.